Welcome to the Ignatius Press Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Pettiprin. In each episode, we bring you in-depth conversations with Catholic authors, focusing on the most important cultural and ecclesiastical matters of our age. For the past 40 years, Ignatius Press has been the leader in Catholic publishing, with a wide variety of media, of authors and titles, old and new. We invite you to learn more about us and explore our extensive offerings at Ignatius.com. If you like what we do here on the podcast, don't forget to subscribe, follow us on social media, and please consider giving us a five-star review. We pray that this podcast will inspire you as you grow in your faith. Now, on with the show. At the heart of Christian evangelism is testimony, bearing witness of the truth of God's revelation to man in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. As the dogmatic Constitution on Divine Revelation, Dei Verbum, states, Jesus confirmed with divine testimony what revelation proclaimed, that God is with us to free us from the darkness of sin and death and to raise us up to life eternal. St. Luke tells us that he is writing his orderly account in order to compile a narrative of the things which have been accomplished among us, just as they were delivered to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. At the end of the same book, our Lord tells the apostles, you are witnesses of these things. And with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, the disciples embrace the fullness of this testimony, proclaiming again and again, we were witnesses. My guest today, Jeremy Christensen, has come to know the traditional Christian meaning of testimony by being baptized and confirmed in the Catholic Church as an adult. An appreciation of Christian witness, no doubt intensified by the fact that he is an attorney, and by all accounts, an extremely successful one. But Jeremy also knows about authentic Christian testimony in contrast to the way the word and the concept are understood in the religious tradition he has left behind, Mormonism or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. To Mormons, Jeremy explains, testimony is specifically related to one's ability to express as knowledge what has first been a feeling. A feeling, first of all, that some proposition or other about Mormonism is true, and second, that the feeling produces a sense of well-being. Jeremy explains further, quote, Mormonism rises and falls with the testimonial experience, which serve as the entree to what Mormonism is really all about, personal revelation. That is, experiences in which God is personally communicating with you through the Holy Ghost to guide and direct your life according to his unique plan for you. Jeremy came to realize what St. John Henry Newman concluded about the danger of private judgment, that the revealed truth of Christ must be more than a feeling, to borrow a phrase. Like many of us, when Jeremy discovered the Church Fathers and then plunged himself deeply into the Christian tradition, his eyes were opened to truth that made sense to him and to the world in a way that required and has always had the valid testimony not just of me or you or any one of us, but of our Lord himself 
and the church he instituted, which is alive and relatively well even today. From this perspective, Jeremy Christensen is able to share a powerful testimony in his recent book from Ignatius Press titled, From the Susquehanna to the Tiber, A Memoir of Conversion from Mormonism to the Roman Catholic Church. It is my pleasure to welcome Jeremy Christensen to the podcast. Jeremy Christensen, welcome to the Ignatius Press podcast. How are you? I'm doing well, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. Really glad to finally uh, make your acquaintance. We've corresponded a little bit uh, via Twitter. And uh, I have to say, your, your, your book, which we're talking about today, From the Susquehanna to the Tiber, is just terrific. It really affected me, and uh, I really hope that, uh, that our listeners will be able to pick it up and uh, be as edified by it as I was. You, you begin your, uh, your story, uh, your journey from Mormonism into the Catholic Church by saying this, I, Nephi, having been born of godly parents, so begins the Book of Mormon, and so begins the way many Mormons recount their life story. I am no exception because I was an unexceptional Mormon. Now, I want to hear more about why you think you were an unexceptional Mormon, <laughs> but I have to say your, your book is anything but unexceptional. Um, not only, you know, because you're a very good writer, uh, but also we both know these like kind of conversion stories. You and I are both converts to the Catholic yeah. Church. And, you know, the, these conversion memoirs are kind of a dime a dozen. I enjoy them very much. And when I came into full communion with the Catholic Church, a friend of mine said, hey, look, you know, don't rush right away about writing a conversion memoir. OK, man. So now I'm, I'm sooner or later going to going to put one out. But, you know, there are a lot of these kinds of things. But I have to admit, reading yours was was extraordinary. I mean, it really, you know, not only because you're an interesting person, but because I certainly had never read anyone's account of coming from Mormonism into Catholicism. So. You know, I wonder if you could just kind of set the stage for us a little bit um, about your early life, uh, your early life as a Mormon. And I mean, I can't imagine you ever thought as a kid growing up in Utah that you would one day be a, a Roman Catholic. So just sort of, you know, fill our, our listeners in on on the beginnings of your journey. Sure. Uh, yeah, I I began the book that way. Um, as a as a Mormon, that that line. Um, from the, the opening line of the Book of Mormon feels like the right way to start, I think, for, for many Mormons or maybe for most, because it was something like an homage to my parents. Um, I think in, in, some, in some sense, right, conversion is difficult, at least if you are in a, a family like mine, where religion was a serious thing. So my parents are not lunatics or fanatics. They're good, wholesome, decent, faithful people for whom religion is not a game. It's not, oh, whatever, you know, whatever suits you. That, that's just not how they are. And, and so, you know, my conversion was obviously very difficult for them. It's difficult for, for my, uh, my siblings. And a lot of times you see particularly in the ex-Mormon community, a lot of bitterness uh, when people move their way out of the LDS church and a lot of resentment to the way they were raised and the things they were taught. And that's just not 
true for me um, and would feel so disingenuous um, uh, apart from being, you know, completely disrespectful and a violation of the commandment to honor my parents because they were such good people who taught me very good things. And I say this all of the time when I talk to people about what it's like to grow up as in a faithful Mormon household, it's probably in many ways, not that distinct from what it's like to grow up in a faithful Catholic household. So we said prayers every morning together as a family and every night together as a family. We read from the Book of Mormon every every morning together as a family. Uh, we went to church every week on Sundays and had activities during the week that were involved at church and church is just very much a part of your life. And again, it wasn't, I suppose in today's, you know, secularized world that maybe seems like fanatical, but uh, you know, my parents raised us in, in a religious home, you know, in the eighties and nineties and two thousands in a way that was just very devout and very normal. We're very normal people. And they, you know, they did a lot to instill in me uh, the importance of, of loving God and trying to put God first in life. And, uh, you know, so for that, I'm, I'm obviously, you know, very grateful to them uh, because those roots are still, are, are still there with me. And for all of its uh, theological error, to put it bluntly, um, you know, Mormonism does, uh, I, I used to joke and say it's the best heresy um, <laughs> be, because there, there is obviously a lot of good uh, coming out of the LDS community, very strong families um, that focus on, on family and community, very, very strong communities that take care of one another. You know, those are all very good, good things. Those do not a true religion make, but they are very good things. And, uh, so, you know, I look back on my, my childhood as, as I explained in the book, I had a, uh, to put it mildly, a rough bout in the teenage years, but really my growing up was, you know, really great and nothing to complain about. And certainly nothing about my religion really gave me sort of cause for, for being upset about my life or the world or, or anything, um, anything of that nature. Yeah. I want to get into this in a minute, your, your own exploration of Mormonism, which in some respects led you out of it. Um, yeah. but before we do that, I think kind of sticking to your early life, something that really struck me in um, those first couple of chapters was the way that you talked about kind of the experience of being a Mormon, mm -hmm. um, which in some respects reminded me a little bit of, it's not exactly what I experienced as an evangelical growing up, but but there was a little bit of what you were talking about with regard to testimony that resonated sure. with me. You know, the idea that like a personal encounter with the Holy Spirit and a personal expression of faith and relationship is ultimately the way that the Lord assures you of the truth mm -hmm. of, of your religion. Um, now, I have certain critiques of that in Christianity, but the way you talked about it in Mormonism was particularly intriguing to me, um, especially because in Mormonism, you have this whole, in, in, in a sense, like you've got, you've got to kind of um, 
justify these things which uh, which don't have this long pedigree, right? That don't have yeah. this sort of you know centuries old kind of witness to support them. So I wonder just, you know, in whatever way you want to talk about it, what is that experience of testimony like? And, and how do you make sense of it now as a Catholic? Um, those are really great questions. And actually, for, for people who've not read the book, um, when I when I set about, you know, I wrote it for a, a number of reasons. But when I started working on the project from the perspective of maybe I might try and and publish this and thinking about the process of my conversion and, and trying to really isolate what I thought, what is, um, when I, when I look at the way that Christianity has engaged Mormonism, I, I don't think it's done so successfully. If it had, if it were doing so successfully, I think you would see more members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints leaving and becoming Catholics or becoming other Christian denominations than we do. And the current engagement is is so often with what, from the Christian perspective, is this low-hanging fruit that I'm sure we'll get to. The history of the Church of Joseph Smith, the production of the Book of Mormon, polygamy, all of these things. And that just doesn't work. It's not, or it's not working well enough, in my, in my view. And to me, I thought it's because that's not really the issue. That's not really the sticking point. Mormonism is about, in my view, above all other things, personal revelation and the testimony of the Holy Ghost, as they, as they call it. That That's really at its core uh, what it's about. And if you don't understand that, you won't understand Mormonism or why it is the way that it is. And that... For for Mormons, so this is this is embedded in the Book of Mormon. There is uh, a verse near the end of the book where the one of the supposed ancient authors kind of breaks the fourth wall and tells people reading the book, if you read this with a sincere heart, having faith, uh, and you ask God, He will manifest the truth of it to you by the power of the Holy Ghost, and by the power of the Holy Ghost, you may know the truth of all things. Th those two lines are so central to Mormon epistemology, to the way that Mormons conceive of how they know things that are true and things that are not true. And that's further elaborated on in some of the supposed revelations of Joseph Smith that are recorded in a book called The Doctrine and Covenants and is described as a sensation, as a, as a, a burning in the bosom. And, and you're sort of taught that at certain points in life, including when praying about the Book of Mormon or when praying to know that Joseph Smith was a true prophet or, or other sort of truth claims about uh, that, the, that the LDS Church makes, that God is going to manifest in this very discernible way um, through you know these feelings that you have, that it's true and that that is how you sort of know it. And I describe... You know, approaching this now from the other side um, and without trying to be disrespectful or to be trite about it to, to you know, family and friends who are LDS, it's not that, it's not an unusual experience. Um, human beings, when we sit down, I, uh, Andrew, you like movies, as I understand it. Oh, yes. Um, 
when you sit down and you watch a movie and there's a scene in which somebody does something virtuous and heroic and you just you you feel this choke in your throat you feel this this sort of rush of emotion you 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 just have this feeling <laughs> you know in your heart this burning in your bosom um that you have this elevated sense of emotion and for you know, I shopped this around. I talked to friends. I talked to family members. I talked to my wife because I was like, was this just me that I thought that I had been taught that that when that is coinciding with, um, you know, a moment in which I'm praying or or thinking about some proposition about the LDS church or, or literally asking God, is the Book of Mormon true? Uh, you know, that that feeling is what I understood to be the Holy ghost of what I was looking for. And I had that experience. And, and in the context of, of being taught your whole life, that that's what that is, that when that, you know, convalesces uh, with one of those events in your life, that God is telling you something is true in a way that kind of supersedes any other way of knowledge. It's a really, really powerful experience. And it is very difficult uh communicate to non-LDS people just how powerful that experience is. Yeah, that's a helpful explanation, Jeremy. But I have to say, what you've done in the book is, I think, you have explained well to people who don't come from the LDS tradition how this testimony thing works. And I think, moreover, you one thing that I liked about the way you talked about it is that you don't, at least my impression of reading your your account of it, is you're not you're not necessarily discounting the possibility that there were there were moments when it was really the holy the holy spirit at work right i mean you you talk about sort of your decision to marry your wife and you know various other things that are going on right where you are asking those kinds of questions from this mormon perspective sure. but you may very well be getting real answers from you know from from god from from the holy trinity from the holy spirit right um that are serving that are serving the purpose of of the Lord, you know, leading you down the path that He really wants you on. So, in other words, it's not all it's not all just bogus necessarily. Am I right in in saying that? I so I, I think mostly. So I I have a an interesting perspective about this, and and maybe it's not a great perspective, but I I don't know that I have a complete answer or explanation for all of those experiences. Like I say, one of the very difficult realities of somebody who is thinking about not being LDS anymore is to stare into the void of, of asking, I mean, you know, to put it very frankly, sitting there and saying, did I marry somebody? I made this decision because I felt this way. And that was just me feeling good about, you know, that, that is a, and, and you stack those decisions up uh, because the way that, um, like I said, you know, Mormons believe in continuing revelation that when you've been given the gift of the Holy ghost at confirmation, that you are entitled to continually receive revelation from God in this very particular specific way about things that you're supposed to do in your life. And, um, you know, it does bring this sense of kind of always being very closely connected with the divine in everything you're doing. But, but when you start 
to see some of the flaws in that approach to thinking, particularly when those feelings just don't match up to reality. Uh, you you do have these moments of having, like I said, to stare into the void and really confront this this possibility of of them not being what you thought they were. And I guess my my way of dealing with them has been a little bit, and, and I think with more time being Catholic, and certainly now that my spouse and all of my children are Catholic, I I sort of don't care. Uh, um, what they were, because as I've thought more about how God's providence works and how inscrutable it is and how we often just really don't understand how the Holy Spirit is working in our life in any given moment. And and especially as I think about, um, you know, the the sacramental life and the development of virtue, both natural and supernatural virtues uh that that is really the focus of the christian life and that insofar as we do that then you have this great sense of trust in god's guiding providence and it just doesn't matter anymore whether god was telling me to do this or to do that Mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't matter um whether any of it was you know real or or completely not real. It wouldn't make any difference because what matters is that God led me to the Catholic faith and here I am. And now I got to do something with that. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Amen. Gotta, yeah. You actually to act. jump right. And to jump all the way ahead to the end of the book, you, you end with the, uh, the paraphrasing St. John Henry Newman. You say, if any Mormon says in consequence that I had been converted in the wrong way, I cannot help that now. I, I love Newman's sense of uh, thinking about providence in just the way, actually, that you've explained. So I think that's, yeah. that's most helpful. Yeah, that, I, I love that line. Um, and, and it's a great way that I sort of thought of, you know, if, I, if it turned out I was Mormon in the wrong way and I totally missed the boat and misunderstood what my religion was about my whole life, despite intently trying to live it, well, there's, you know, there's not much I can do about that at this point, but, but I do think, um, you know, it is it, because of that transition. I just, one more, one more point about this that I think is interesting when you leave, uh, Mormonism and you, you feel this deep sense of loss of, of sort of disconnect with God of like, who is God anymore? It's not this person that I am constantly conversing with. And I feel is like micromanaging, uh, for lack of a better term, certain aspects of my life. And you feel lost. You feel sort of like, how do I live? How do I, how do I make, you know, um, key decisions or how do I know that what I'm doing is like the right thing to do? And, and that was, um, you know, this deep, I think, consolation eventually of, of starting to get my arms around Catholic teaching about God's providence and understanding that, that concept and, and having a very deep assurance of God's sovereignty in creation and being able to sort of trust in him in, in a deeper way. So for me, that's, you know, it's a scary thing coming out, but um, it's worked out well. It sure has. Let's, let's talk for a moment about your mission. Um, And I I think that most listeners will want to hear about that because non-Mormons certainly uh, 
identify the Mormon missionary as kind of the iconic Mormon, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, the black pants, the white shirt, the black tie, I believe is the uniform. Um, and you know, tag. the little name tag, of course. Yeah. And now you write about how you, you mentioned just a moment ago that you had a, a little, a, a period in your teenage years that didn't sound terribly scandalous to me, the way that you wrote about them, just, you know, dalliances with, with some drugs and alcohol and, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, you know, not exactly what, what we would want for our own children, but sure. you know, these things happen of course, but you had, you had a return to, uh, you know, a strong return to your, to your faith and to your Mormon faith. And you went on a mission. Now I can only imagine as a non, as someone coming from a totally non Mormon background that, you know, that's obviously a big deal. I mean, it's, you know, the kind of that your father did it, your siblings did it, you know, it's like, it's the kind of thing that in some respects forms like a kind of centerpiece for your life. And especially yeah. as a young man, almost like going off into the military or something, you have this formative experience ahead of you. And then after you for the rest of your life, in some respects, everything is kind of colored by having done that sort of thing. Now, I found it was really interesting that you were sent to Argentina, which was by the time you you got there a pretty secularized country, but yep. still with strong vestigial Catholicism. I mean, you would encounter people, as you write about in the book, that who would just say to you, who would dismiss you out of hand and say, I'm Catholic. You know, they didn't, that's, that's that, right? Oh, yeah. So talk to us a little bit about your experience in Argentina and being a missionary. What did that mean for you? And in the aftermath of it, how did that sort of affect your trajectory? Uh, my mission was huge. Like you said, it, it really was... Uh, probably the certainly one of if not the most formative event in my life uh it really you know did serve as a launching pad for kind of the trajectory that the rest of my life took in in a number of ways one of them is it is very much a uh sort of coming of age ritual it's it is uh, definitely like leave a boy, come back a man kind of thing. And frankly, you know, you're, you're, you know, 19 now they, now they send young men at, at 18. So you're, you know, you're quite young. You are, it's, it's become a little softer uh, in certain ways, as I understand. I mean, it's been a long time since I was a missionary, uh, 15 years or so, but I mean, you're out there like, completely unsupervised for weeks at a time uh, where you won't run into your like a real adult authority figure for weeks at a time. And it's just you and some other guy who's 18, 19, 20 years old. And you are just out there every day from, you know, nine or 10 in the morning until uh, nine o'clock or so at night knocking on people's doors, standing up in front of people on the bus, approaching people on the subway, um, getting spit on, getting heckled, getting chased, seeing all kinds of crazy things. And so you grow, you do a lot of growing up. And what, you know, when I was there, you, you got like 30 minutes a week, we could go to a cyber cafe. <laughs> the kids will laugh about the existence of that thing. So yeah. you go to, we would go to a cyber cafe and we could, uh, we could email our parents, only our parents, and we could do that for 30 minutes. And so you got to email, send an email to your parents once a week, and you could talk to your family on a phone call on Mother's Day and Christmas. 
and that was it. So you you grow up a ton. Um, I think spiritually, it is, uh, you know, the church always used to say, the most important convert of your mission is you. And uh, I think it very much served that purpose, right? It really galvanizes the faith of many Mormons because you're out there defending it all the time. Like every, not a single day would go by that somebody didn't challenge you in one way or another, usually a dozen times a day to tell you that you are wrong. And, and that obviously has, has an effect. Um, and, you know, you, you have a lot of these really formative experiences. You do a fair amount of service. You're always looking for opportunities to just help people. And I really, you know, I loved Argentina. It is just such a, uh, beautiful country full of wonderful people. Um, I, you know, at the time never saw him or heard anything. (laughs) The Holy father was the archbishop, uh, where I was. And, but, but there was this, um, as you, as you said, this sort of vestigial Catholicism everywhere. I mean, there were, there were statues of the blessed mother of our lady of Luhan, which is sort of the main, uh, apparition of Our Lady in Argentina, Our Lady of Luhan, literally there are just shrines on the streets everywhere, everywhere. Like, you know, you walk, you walk a kilometer, you're going to see at least a half dozen of these, you know, shrines just out in the street. And people have a deep sense of a cultural Catholicism in, in Argentina. Uh, and so, you know, that, that meant, a lot of my quote unquote successes as a missionary were, were with you know, long time lapsed Catholics, people who were maybe were baptized Catholic, but were uh, evangelical, you know, had become evangelical Protestants or something. There, there was a lot of that in Argentina. Um, you know, people who were sort of practicing Catholics and probably most people who weren't would just say, I'm Catholic. Boom. And end of conversation. Yeah. Well, how did you, how did you cope with that? I mean, I think you, you mentioned something in the book about how it's almost like wearing the uniform and doing the official duty kind of emboldens you in a way, like it makes you fearless. You know, is that, is that accurate? Yeah. I, it's kind of wild. Like, I, I mean, I had people, um, I had people rob me just for like robbing me sake, you know, they, they see a North American walking through, you know, i was in a lot of really, really, really dangerous neighborhoods. And, you know, so you get robbed, but you'd have people harass you or threaten you. Um, and, you know, a couple of closer calls, <laughs> run-ins with people that that are, you know, bordering on the life-threatening. I certainly saw other missionaries who, you know, who got assaulted pretty, pretty severely. And, and I mean, a, a lot of it is because you're Mormon. Um, and 99% of it is perceived because you're a Mormon, even if that's not really, it may have been because I was, you know, I was an American uh, or I just look like somebody who might've had money or those sorts of things. But certainly from your perception, I mean, uh, people who believe something, who feel persecuted for believing that thing, 
I think often tend to believe that, you know, it's like that Michael Scott meme. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to do it harder. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I think it really just, um, for me, it solidified my faith and, you know, coming out of my mission, I would have never, ever, ever thought that I would ever leave the LDS church ever, let alone yeah. be a Roman Catholic. Now, that's interesting you say that because as your book, uh, you know, not to give away everything in the book, but, you know, it's your it's your life. So sure. um, they should just read it and uh, and see your precise account of it. But, you know, I was really struck by how the, the book moves from your mission to coming back to Utah. You're you have a little waiting period before you are going to start your undergraduate education, which mm-hmm. which was a huge success. Right. And you got to go on to law school at yeah. the same time. You meet your wife, you get married, you start having children. And it definitely seems like everything is just is, you know, it's hard, right? Because you're young and you're poor and, and you know, you're, you're scrapping, you're really heavily involved in your church. And, you know, you get more and more responsibilities in the LDS church at the same time that you're starting a family and trying to go to school full time. Right. Yeah. But the thing that struck me was how, you know, may, and maybe maybe what stuck out, actually, there's a part in your book where you talk about the crisis you experienced where you got a B plus in law school. <laughs> yeah. And it almost felt reading the book like that. I don't know if you even intended it this way in the book, but it's almost like that was like a pebble that starts rolling down the hill, like that specific incident. I, am I right that, that that crisis and maybe fill our readers in just kind of where you yeah. are in your life when that happened? I mean, it definitely was a catalyst and I included it because it's so facially stupid sounding when you say it out loud that, that I just had to be honest, you know, say this is, this is really um, what got things going, but, but it's, you know, it's recounted a lot more in the book, but the kind of key moments are that while I'm in law school and very hyper-focused on grades and grades are just to be frank, very important in law school, uh, and they dictate a lot of kind of career outcomes that you're going to have. And I was called to be the elders quorum president in the ward where we were living. And that is a volunteer position as all LDS leadership positions are at the local level um, with a lot of responsibility, a ton of responsibility for serious needs. Um, like you're going to the hospital at two in the morning to give blessings to people who are like, you know, I, I had to go give a blessing to a, a like weeks, if maybe weeks old infant who had had open heart surgery, the chest was still open like two o'clock in the morning. And then you're, you know, showing up the next day for school and very stressful position and when that happens, when you when you receive one of these callings, these volunteer positions, one of the leaders gives you this special blessing called a setting apart, and they kind of pronounce extemporaneously a blessing over you that is taken as, again, like revelation, like, you know, God's sort of speaking through this person. And there was just like the stake president gave me like a really oddly specific promise about how I was going to perform on my upcoming law school exams. And it felt it to hear somebody say it, it was just like such a relief because I was so stressed about it. And I had the same feeling that I, you know, always had, and I had done really, really well in school up to that point. So it also wasn't like 
weird. It wouldn't have been surprising for me, you know, to have, to have um, performed the way that I expected to. But then I didn't. And it was so difficult. And it was so, it, it caused a bout of depression. Um, and it was a very, very challenging and caused a lot of resentment and a lot, just a lot of cognitive dissonance of like, God, what's, what's going on? Like, what, why did you do this to me? Um, that, that really did kind of snowball. And I think what, what kind of ties it in is that at the same time, uh, so this would have been around 2013. And at that time, you have to understand in the Mormon world, a lot is going on uh, very publicly with respect to how the church is facing up publicly to the availability of information about early Mormonism and like historical problems and issues. There have been some public, very public excommunications. There have been news stories of large groups of young-ish Mormons leaving the LDS church over these historical issues. And and the church, I think, trying to trying to kind of get out ahead of the problem, uh, released this series of, of official essays where they tried to kind of really, for the first time, address some of these historical problems. And in the process, began admitting things that were kind of, I had always grown up like, wait, what? That's, that's not right. We, you know, Joseph Smith really was a treasure digger. What? I, mm -hmm. I, I didn't, I, I would always told that was, you know, slander and, and whatnot. And, um, and those two things, you know, are sort of happening at the same time. I'm in Salt Lake city, which is, it's impossible to escape Mormon discourse. If you live in Salt Lake city, let, let alone if you're, you're at a, you know, secular university in an intellectualized environment like law school, and, um, and there was just, there came a point eventually as, as time went on where I just let myself think. And I, I just, I don't remember where I was, but I distinctly remember the moment of actually letting myself think for a minute, what if it's not true? What if the reason why that blessing didn't work out, or frankly, the reason that you know, I remember this other time that this thing, you know, I felt like it was a prompting that didn't actually work out. And, you know, there's another one and there's another one. What if it weren't true? Wouldn't I just want to know that and, and kind of let myself think that, which is, is this internal barrier that is incredibly difficult to get someone to that point. But once, um, once I had gotten to that point, you know, that is what allowed me, I think, to unburden myself of, of certain expectations as I then turn my attention to learning and reading really deeply about early Mormon history. Yeah. And I, uh, let's talk about that for a moment. And uh, you know, I would just, I have to say, I learned so much about Mormonism reading your book. Um, I, I really didn't know a lot of the things that you talk about, about kind of some of the early controversies, some of the present controversies, some of the disputed information and that kind of thing. I would just highly encourage our readers to to read the book, if for no other reason, to learn a lot about Mormonism. It, it is really just a wonderful account that you provide for us. Um, I want to connect that, though, to, in a sense, like when you convert to the Catholic Church, 
the experience certainly that I that I had and that many others that I've talked to and the sense that I get from your book too is that you're both leaving something behind and going towards something. So you're both running away from and running towards. Mm-hmm. And I thought that the way that you talked about your journey of exploring some of the problems with Mormonism was very profound. But then I loved how you transitioned in your account to talking about how you discovered the church fathers and how you then sort of, in a sense, began being pulled towards Christianity. Mm-hmm. And one thing that struck me, and maybe you can speak to this, was unlike Protestants, like you know, former Protestants like me who came into full communion with the Catholic Church, right? The Protestant ethos is always that there was a pure church, that there was there, that there was a church of the New Testament and of the first few centuries, and and that it all went wrong at some point, right? Mm -hmm. But it seems like with Mormonism, you don't have that so much, right? Because you you have this sort of, you know, you don't, you're not sort of trying to be the early church as much as you are, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are the people of a new revelation, right? I mean, you're the, you know, something, something totally new has happened, and you're taking account of that. So what was your exploration of the fathers like in light of your specific experience of having lived in the in this other religion? Yeah. So so I would offer, you know, one one sort of tweak to that perspective. You know, Mormonism is a restorationist part of the restorationist movements of of churches who did see themselves as attempting to return to the true gospel. Um, the funny thing or the odd kind of quirky thing about, you know, you see in a lot of Protestant um, restorationism uh, and even with, I think, you know, certain strands within Catholic thinking um, of of sort of pining for some sort of like simple, you know, simple New Testament Christianity or something, right, With without all of its, you know, post-Constantinian trappings and these sorts of things. And while there is certainly some of that in the earliest days of Mormonism, it quickly got off on a very different tangent uh, with this idea of, you know, continuing revelation. But you are taught to believe that Jesus taught his apostles the things that you believe. Mm -hmm. But it just disappeared really quickly, that there was a great apostasy very, very quickly. And, And so, you know, when I started by the time I was reading the church fathers, I had been done with Mormonism and I was just reading the church fathers, uh, kind of just for the heck of it. I mean, I, I thought I could, I'd never heard of them, but once I sort of encountered this idea, I thought, oh, well, I might be able to eclectically pick different (laughs) beliefs that I find in these, you know, to add to my own sense of very vague, wishy-washy pseudo Christianity that I, kind of maintained in the aftermath of, of consciously not being Mormon anymore. And reading the fathers just, yeah, it was just such a powerful experience. One, because of how ignorant I was about Christian history. Um, and two, to just come into contact the, the way that I always explain it of, of how that happened was not so much that I read the church fathers and knew that the Catholic church is ultimately and theologically what it claims to be, but rather what was so unnerving to me as somebody who didn't have a dog in the race and wasn't looking to become anything or let alone become Catholic, just reading them and saying, 
these people look and smell a lot like Catholic. Like this seems very, very Catholic. And it kind of seems like they just are historically as a historical fact, whether this is like Christ's church or not, the Catholic church has this ridiculous continuity carrying through the ages. Right. And, and, and to, it was just upsetting at some level to be like, you know, I consider myself Christian, but like, I don't believe remotely a number of things that it seems pretty clearly to me that these people um, believed. And, and these people, you know, when you're talking about the church fathers, you're often talking about people who were, who were martyred in just insanely brutal ways. And, and, you know, there's, you kind of get a sense of like, there's not any evidence that anybody in the first century held a body of beliefs that approximated the distinctive features of Mormonism. It's just not there. There are all kinds of groups who claim the mantle of Christianity that you can read about, um, but none of them approximate Mormons. But there is a, a, a group of people who looked really, really, really Catholic um, and who, you know, who, who died for those beliefs. And, and that, you know, I think is really what started kind of flipped on the magnet um, that along with the, the intellectual tradition of the church is around that time I started listening to, um, to Bishop Barron's, you know, the, the Catholicism series that he had done when he was father Robert Barron and getting introduced a little bit more to Aquinas and Newman. And then I started going off and reading them. And again, it was this, you know, this very different approach to the question of faith and reason and understanding our reason as, like I, I say in the book, you know, understanding that we're made in the image of God, not because the father has fingers and toes like we do, but that we are made in the image of God because we have intellect and will. Um, you know, that is the core of, of, of the Catholic intellectual tradition. And to realize that this thing that God gave me that seemed like such a curse and a puzzle um, and, and, you know, led me through such a difficult time in, in terms of rejecting Mormonism is actually this, this beautiful gift and the thing that makes us most, most like him. Um, you know, th that being our, our reason. Jeremy, you you get to a point where you're going to mass uh, and you're going to the traditional Latin mass mm -hmm. and you're reading the fathers. And yet you are also still going with your wife and your children to yeah. Mormon worship, yeah. trying to hold together this, <laughs> this sort of dual life. Maybe yeah. you can tell us a little bit more about that in the few moments that remain. But the, then you get to a you get to a crisis point. You're on vacation in Las Vegas, yep. and you decide this is it. I wonder if you could just tell us what. It, I don't want to give it away. I want you to tell her sure. like what you did, what the what what you what the concrete sort of expression of this decision to become Catholic was like for you in that moment. Yeah, well, it was very um, uh, uninteresting and not. Um, no bolts from heaven, no burnings in the bosom, no, nothing particularly um, monumental about it. 
uh, I was just sitting alone in a hotel room. I'd been, I was resting. My wife and kids were off at her sister's house and I was just kind of taking a moment to veg. And I had been thinking a lot about it. And, and it, it was just, I suppose it's something like, you know, when Newman uh, talks about this concept of ascent, it was just this moment of saying, yeah, this seems like the right and logical thing to do. I think Catholicism is actually true. Um, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. I think it's correct. I think it's true. And I think that implies that I should, I should become a Catholic and I'm going, I'm going to do it. And it, it really was nothing um, more momentous than that. But that's what was so, uh, in a way, momentous about it to me. <laughs> it, was, it was such a contrast. Uh, you know, when my wife was exploring Catholicism, she would ask me and I would just laugh. I was like, I know, I totally get it. She's like, what, how do I know? Yeah. How do I know that Catholicism is true? And I've had people ask me that coming from the LDS tradition. And I said, I mean, how do you know, like that the sky's above you or that two plus two is four? Um, I, I believe in Catholicism for the, the same reasons that I believe, you know, innumerable hosts of facts about reality that I believe in. And I truly, um, you know, I, I obviously now have, you know, supernatural gifts of grace from God, like faith, but, um, but that the fundamental, the baseline of why I believe the claims of the Catholic church are really rooted in this, this concept of, of reason that is this beautiful, wonderful gift that God um, has given to us and that that's, that's the way that, that, that we know things. And, um, you know, it's a complicated journey that we all find ourselves on in, in the, the relationship between faith and reason and working that out. Uh, and it is, it is, you know, I, I will always say, I don't mean this to denigrate Mormonism, but um, I would I would often say to people that, you know, Catholicism, as benighted as I thought it was and superstitions and stuff, uh, Catholicism is is very much a religion for grownups. Um, it is a very serious uh, way of approaching reality and the world. And it it is uh, true and good and beautiful above all other things. But, uh, you know, it is a, a big contrast from sort of looking for this epic moment, this highly internalized subjective moment on the Mormon side to this more reflective decision-making um, on the other side to become Catholic. Yeah. As we wrap up, Jeremy, um, you've already given it away, so I, I won't, I won't <laughs> fear giving it away, but your wife and children have also come into full communion with the Catholic Church or have, or have been converted, have been baptized yes. and, and confirmed in, or have come into the Catholic Church. Um, that was something which I have to admit, reading your book, I was kind of worried about all the way through. I mean, because the narrative <laughs> so was your... I. You think you were worried. <laughs> well, I know, of course, you were the one living it. But you really, I mean, just as a storyteller, I have to admit, you know, you really built suspense towards the very end of the book where you finally tell tell the reader that your wife and children have have also become Catholic. But And pray, praise God for that. Praise yes. the Lord, because... Um, 
you know, so many stories of conversion are, are, are fraught with, you know, married couples not agreeing or, or being in different places at different times. And I certainly yeah. understand that. Um, so um, just in, in, in a few seconds here that remains, what's your life like now as, as a Catholic family, as opposed to a Mormon family? Um, you know, we, we are, we are very happy. Uh, praise God that uh, my family converted. It is, it is also something I never thought would happen. I did not, I became a Catholic uh, with the conscious expectation of having to live a very complicated uh, life with respect to the religion in my household. And my um, wonderful parish priest who I uh, was visiting with when I became Catholic, you know, had all the assurance in the world. He told me, oh, your wife's going to convert. And I was like, you, you are insane. You are totally crazy. You have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, and you know, he just gave me, I think, the best advice um, to navigate that situation, which was a lot of just, you know, be a good Catholic, just be a good Catholic, be a serious Catholic. Um, it will not behoove you to to be pushy, which was against my nature that I'm, I'm a lawyer, I'm an adversary. That's it's not not necessarily my nature to just let something especially that important kind of sit there and not, not be some kind of active project I'm always pursuing. But I think that's where it took, you know, some, some trust in God and in his timing and his providence to make things work the right way. And, and, um, you know, that's a whole, that's a whole other story. One day, maybe my wife will write a book about her story. Well, um, yes. Uh, but, uh, we, we are very happy and, um, and life is good. The book is From the Susquehanna to the Tiber, A Memoir of Conversion from Mormonism to the Roman Catholic Church. Jeremy Christensen, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Andrew. I really appreciate it. It's great. This episode has been brought to you by Ignatius Press. Please visit us at ignatius.com. Follow us on social media and be sure to rate and review this podcast. Until next time, I'm Andrew Pettiprint. God bless. God bless.